Text your people, they shit All the problems and your knees if you just Lawyer, doctor, anything if you just You got some questions about some things you just You a king, be the king, you just Got proper comfort for the queens if they Live in favor, see the dream Get your phone, text your people, they shit Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Mailbox, episode three. Uh, we are so blessed to be here and, and happy to uh, get started with another podcast. Uh, hopefully, everybody's week is going well. Uh, today, we have two special and impressive guests. Uh, we're going to be talking about representing the law and activism in a divine way. But more than anything, uh, it's the last day of March, so we definitely wanted to celebrate Women's History Month. So I want to thank all the women out there, all the women who have helped us at a few good mentors and and just uh, all the women in general who um, who have paved the way, you know, for all of us, really. Especially want to thank my wife, Tamika, for all of her support. I want to thank uh, my mother, who's no longer with us, but she's, she's here with me. I want to thank my sisters, Joyce, Jackie, my daughter, Bria, uh, my daughter-in-law, Lambe, and uh, the two women who help with bring this podcast to us each week. Um, Asha and Cece, thank you guys so much for, for all the work that you do. Uh, we couldn't do it without you. And all of the volunteers and, and of a few good mentors as well. Okay, so activism, law and activism in a divine way. I know everybody's wondering what does that mean? So I wanna bring in our two guests. Um, Mr. John Clark and his daughter, Nefertara Clark. Welcome to the mailbox. Thank you so much for having us. Good uh, afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, before we get started, I know everybody wants to know who are you? Uh, just a little bit something about, about you two. Um, I'm so impressed by you, but uh, can you tell us a little something about yourself? Oh, thank you. Do you want to start? You can start. Okay. So my name is Nefertara Clark, and this is my father, attorney John M. Clark. We are, he's my father, but he's also my my boss. We're partners in law. So we are the um, attorneys at Clark and Clark Law Group. We have an office in Elberton, Georgia, which is where we are from, where I'm from, Elbert County. My oh, father okay. hails from Oglethorpe County in Georgia. So we're in the northeast corner of Georgia. Okay. I live in Atlanta and I am the managing partner of our Atlanta office. So we have two locations. Um, we are both graduates of Savannah State University for undergrad. And that's how we have a connection to ASHA. And we um, both attended Southern University Law Center in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, and so that's a little bit about us. We love to um, help others. Like I get that um, honest as they say, I get it from my father. Um, you know, something you get from your mother, but I get it from both my mother and my father. My mom is also yeah. a state grad. So that's a little bit about us. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And, you know, I know that uh, you met Asha at Savannah State. Um, how is that working together, you know? As father and daughter, how how do you all navigate that? It's it's quite easy, really. Uh, I'm I'm really proud of my daughter and the work yeah. that she has done, and 
he worked there with the Fulton County Public Defender's Office with those friends of mine. So it's easy to work with her. You know, I, I always have been the type that want to see whomever I'm with do that very best. So I don't have a problem in stepping back and let someone else step up and make mistakes and then correct their own mistakes. And, you know, I enjoy that. And, you know, what better person uh, you can work with when you have your daughter who's willing to work with you and take the lead. Yeah, that is, that's amazing. I'm going to add one other thing to my father, as y'all can probably tell from our personalities. He's more laid back and calm. And I'm the more like outgoing, kind of high strong one of the group. So um, <laughs> we balance each other. We definitely balance each other. So we um, have no problems working together often. Joke, because my father's from the old school. And yeah. he believes in getting up and going to the office every single day. Yeah, Meanwhile, like my office is like a mile from my house. But most days I work from home because I, yeah. I have all the things that I need at my house that I have at the office. Wi-Fi, computer, printer, all those things. So we're we're different, but we are a lot alike, and we do balance each other um, when it comes to like trials and just the practice of law in general. Yeah, yeah, that's I I understand that, Mr. Clark. I'm old school too. I right. I definitely yeah I I definitely understand that. You know, and I've had to adjust to the new school because I I, I like getting up, putting on yeah. a suit, tie. Yeah. I just yeah. cannot get away from that. It's so <laughs> now, believe it or not, I wear blue jeans, but I wear a tie with it. You know, I dress, I dress the blue jeans up. So, right. So you know, but I, I'm from the old school, and I see you know in the courtroom. I don't see lawyers mm -hmm. dressing like the way I think they should. But absolutely, in a new day, we have to make that adjustment. Yeah, and I, yeah, I have to make that. Yeah, I I definitely agree. Even school teachers, you know, if you go into the classroom now they dress so differently from when i was in school and people in business in general don't wear suits and and shirts and ties anymore so it is interesting in in the change that's taking place very true very true since you're both lawyers since i've been wanting to ask this question since we've booked you for the podcast i've been watching it's national history month first of all and we just went through the hearings for the supreme court justice and i i was so amazed i'm always amazed by those hearings because i'm thinking the questions are so ridiculous basically and so what as attorneys what is your opinion when you watch it i'm sure you have a strong opinion about it what what is your opinion from watching the recent supreme court hearing it, it, the thing uh, when i watch it to listen to them navigate the questions. You have to navigate them to get where you want to be rather than where they want you to be. When person answer. Right, rather than answering the question. Mm -hmm. And I was really impressed by uh, the judge, uh, Brian Jackson. Judge Jackson, yeah. how she navigated the question and didn't answer the question as they wanted her to answer the question. Yeah. And I'm really, I'm really impressed with it. She did a thorough job. She wasn't nailed down, but she gave credible answers. And that's another thing I liked about it. Her answers were very credible, which can be frustrating when lawyers can't nail, uh, you know, witnesses down. It's, yeah. it's frustrating. And, and that's why we saw the reaction. Yeah. The reaction. 
and because she did such a superb job. I was really impressed with the job she did in navigating the question and not letting them pin her down. And uh, she came out looking good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. She definitely did. And if I could just add to something briefly. So her responses were phenomenal. The part that was frustrating or really irritating for me were the questions that were actually being asked. Yeah. Because, of course, we know, you know, as lawyers, but also as lay people, because we have such a wealth of information at our fingertips on the Internet. But to see that she's been confirmed like two or three times prior to this by many of the same, um, you know, legislators and representatives, senators and all who are on the committee already it was a little right. frustrating. But then it was like you were pride, kind of like uh, Senator Booker said when he like had his opportunity yeah. to speak. Yeah just pride in seeing how she did like manage it, like how she sat there um, almost stoic at times with a, a mm -hmm. slight smile on her face, just listening to them bombard her with these questions that are not really intended to um, get to the root of any issue other than just trying to nitpick and make her look bad, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, I, I think that was a goal or they were trying to achieve is to discredit her mm -hmm. in some way. And she really handled herself superbly. I was really impressed by her. I hope it's a fast confirmation and you know, I, I, I think she's going to do a great job. Yeah, we, we do too. Yeah, we, we, we are impressed with, by her. We really are. I, I, I'm really impressed. Yeah. So for both of you all, what does uh, Women's History Month mean to you? You know, we have so many commemorative months throughout the year and for you all, what does that mean to you uh, to have to, for National Women's History Month? Well, uh, first of all, that is something that we should celebrate, you know, daily. Yes. It, it, it tells me that we are at the point where we should respect the birth of a nation, the birth of a people, the birth of the uh, civilization. We should respect uh, women all the time and certainly to set aside a month to uh to really catapult women into the uh limelight it's, it's just great uh, yeah. i really the great thing to have and uh you know we see so many things that our women are discredited uh, and other things that are happening to have seen what we saw at the supreme court at the highest level with black female it, it was just a blessing certainly and you know how they say empower women empower women yeah. and so and, and another one that comes to mind is just how we say black history is american history well yes. so it's history it's american history um and i know we have international women's day but it's so much that women you know no discredit to men because we, we can't do it without y'all either right. um, the women are the backbone for so many things. For every, you know, influential man, powerful man that you see, there's a woman there who is like, you know, encouraging him and, you know, all the things that women do for men and for society. And so it was great to see if we piggy, um, turn back around to the confirmation or to the yeah. hearing, but it was great to see that during Women's History Month. Yeah. It was just good to see um, women being acknowledged for the hard work that they slash we, um, you know, put into everything that we do. So it's, you know, a phenomenal, a phenomenal month and a phenomenal time. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I thought it was great for the hearings to take place during mm -hmm. National Women's History Month. 
Right. I, I think that was a great thing for that. I agree with you, Mr. Clark. It should be every day. We should be honoring um, women. Our organization, A Few Good Mentors, really was birthed out of a need for men to step up to the plate and do more, you know? And so- you need to step up. I, I yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So what inspired you to, to study law? I'll let you go first. Well, I'll, I'll tell his story, which is actually a bit of a story that's in the book. And so um, my father grew up in rural, um, rural Georgia, no electricity, um, no TV. And like the, the vision came to him, like from God, it had to be from God because to be a lawyer, because he'd never seen one on TV. This is before he knew of Perry Mason or um, Matlock or any of those lawyers before he knew of a lawyer, but the Lord, the Lord told him that he was going to be a lawyer. That's mm -hmm. what inspired and propelled him. I was a little bit different. I wanted to be a doctor. That's what I, what I, I used to say I wanted to be a doctor and a lawyer. I'd go back and forth. But when I got to like 10th grade chemistry and I had to like study really hard to like do well in the class, it's like being a doctor is not for me. Um, but I still was undeclared for like my first year at Savannah State. Then I decided, hey, what better way can I help people but then by being a lawyer? And so that kind of was my long way to like becoming a lawyer. It wasn't what I always said I wanted to do, but it's what um, God purposed me to do. Absolutely, he absolutely purposed me to do it. And, and, and that's, for me, what happened, and pe people don't realize what happened to me when I was a kid growing up on a farm, I wanted to be a boxer. My brother, we boxed. My father, you know, we, I knew all the boxers from Joe Lewis to Jersey mm -hmm. Cook, uh, Jack Johnson. We knew all of them. And uh, we practiced. That's something we did. And so being a lawyer, just like my daughter said, we didn't have television. We had to walk maybe three miles to watch television. Sometimes my dad would take us and drop us off. And on Friday nights, he would take us. So we would watch, uh, I think, Gunsmoke. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And then we yeah, would yeah. box it on Friday night. That was boxing on Friday yeah. night. So that's what we did. So uh, what happened, seeing the things that my father went through, certainly didn't prepare me to be a lawyer because I didn't know anything about lawyers. Mm -hmm. uh, my father died in 1965. We moved off the farm because I was the oldest uh, son. We moved off the farm into Athens. And uh, it was in 1966 when the spirit just came on me to be a lawyer. I had wow. never met a lawyer. I didn't look at television because what happened when we moved off the farm, being the oldest in the house, I had a job. I worked at night. And when I got off work, uh, there at the university campus, I worked at the, uh, 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 let me see, was Snelling Hall, Brumby Hall. I worked there and washed dishes, pots and pans. So I would walk home. So when I got home, I was steady. So I didn't watch television. So, so it came to me to be a lawyer. And I shared it with my mother. I told my mother I was going to be a lawyer. I didn't tell anyone else. I didn't tell my classmates. I didn't tell my brothers, my sisters. It was just a secret between myself and my mother. Wow. And that's how it started, and it stayed with me. Mm. And, uh, one thing I knew uh, after my daddy died, when my sister went to Payne College, so we had to use whatever resources we had from selling the land we had to help her through Payne. 
So I knew going in the military, they had the GI Bill. So I that was my plan. I said, well, Lord, bless me. I always prayed every night. Two things I said, and I don't think I said it in the book. I said two things. I asked God after I said the Lord's Prayer, I said, Lord, bless me to finish high school and bless me to go in the Army. I knew going in the Army, I would be able to save the money I needed, and I would get the GI Bill. So he blessed me to do that. He blessed me to go in the Army and not to go to Vietnam, which I was supposed to go. Mm. Out of Vietnam, that was God's intervention. Yeah. And uh, and uh, I stayed in Germany for 29 months and six six days. And wow. then I got out and I went on the you know, undergrad. Mm. That is an amazing story. It is amazing, especially at that time, you know, to say you're going to be a lawyer. I'm sure not many black people were even able to to do that. So that 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 is only God can can put you in that, um, you know, give you that vision to do that. So that is truly a blessing. You're very true. You're very yeah. correct. There weren't a lot of, you know, black people going into like law right. in that time. Yeah. Back yeah. in the seventies. And, you know, you can say women have gone through the same thing. And so what challenges have you encountered as a woman uh, in this line of work and what advice would you give a young woman who's listening, who may want to be a lawyer? Um, so the challenges that I faced were different in that um, I went straight through college to law school, to the practice of law. So when I began practicing law, I was 24. And so, you know, that's still young. And even now people are like, oh, you look so young. I feel as though women are treated, are not respected the same, especially depending upon where you practice. So fortunately, I was in Fulton County where I'm surrounded by people who look like me from the judges to the court staff to the other attorneys. But at being in private practice, going into more rural counties, I do see the sometimes a slight but sometimes blatant disrespect from judges and prosecutors and things like that. And so one thing that I would just say is to simply like keep the faith. Um, and one thing that I'll say, you know, most mornings, especially if I'm having to travel for court, is that the Lord go before me and, you know, prepare mm -hmm. the way for me and give me the words to say, because just because I, you know, have studied and prepared, you know, sometimes we get up there and we freeze up. Like, that's a life thing, but I always ask God to go before me and give me the words that I that I need to, like, properly advocate for my clients. Okay. Wow. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break, and okay. then we will come back. Sounds good. or great day. A few good mentors is asking for your help. Asking for you to roll up your sleeves and join us to help young men become strong. Let us be reminded that it takes a village. Let us be reminded that we are the village. You would be surprised at how you spending time with someone can impact their lives in a great way. We ask you today to be the change and join a few good mentors as we continue our journey, changing the world by focusing on our youth. Please visit our website at www 
www.afgmentoring.net or follow us on social media, AFG Mentoring. We thank you so much. God bless. Welcome back. This is Michael Morgan with the Mailbox Podcast. We're talking to Mr. John Clark and his daughter, Nefetara Clark of Clark and Clark uh, Law Group, LLC in Georgia. Uh, before the break, we were talking about uh, being a lawyer and uh, some of the challenges associated with that. In your, in your opinion, what's the outlook for the future in regards to workplace diversity and equality in, in law firms, how does it look for the future when it comes to, to those issues? From the, my standpoint, we have to do a lot of work to make sure there's diversity in the workplace. But one thing that we have to do is not be afraid to step out and challenge the system. And, and I'm really pleased to see uh, a lot of uh, uh, lawyers in Georgia are running for judgeship this year. So that's that's the challenge we have have ahead of us. We we got to be bold, and we can't be afraid. Whether we're working in large law firm or we're in solo practice, that's what we have to do. And that's why I encourage young lawyers to, especially African American lawyers, be bold, be proudful, don't be afraid, and be respectful. When you go into courtrooms, especially these rural areas, always be respectful, but stand your ground. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And what I would add to that is like what we're seeing a lot of on, on the forefront of firms and corporations is diversity and inclusion officers. So they now have positions for that. I yeah. think with those things, we are going to... Um, we're going to see more um, diversity and inclusion in law firms, large and small. When we say small, like we're, we're essentially like a small firm. There are some firms that are 20 or so um, attorneys that don't have any um, people of color. When I say people of color, that's um, black people, brown people, like Hispanics, you know, um, Indians, Native American Indians or India, Indians from India. They just don't have any color across like their 20 lawyer firm. And so with the push for diversity and inclusion and just a lot of what we've seen starting in 2020 when we were like uh, captive audiences for all that was going on in the world. Right. That corporations and companies know that it is imperative that there be diversity and inclusion in all aspects of the workforce from law firms, you know, to corporate 500, Fortune 500 companies and things of that sort. Yeah, that's a good point. Now, now do you think that uh, based on the Black Lives Matter movement that really aims to fight racism um, across the globe, do you think that has helped inclusion and, and diversity in law firms? Or do you think Black Lives Movement has not had an impact at all on uh, lawyers, new lawyers? But I, I really, I really see maybe a semi backlash 
from it in the rural areas because, mm -hmm. you know, they will flip the script on us and use that as a negative. And that's what I see. And in rural areas, you, you have to stand your ground, be respectful. Don't ever be demeaning when you control, you really control the whole scenario when you do that. And, and But when you come in too aggressive, then you ended up in a situation where you're fighting and you don't accomplish anything. You're objective. Right. And that's what I got from, I, I, that's why I was so impressed with the uh, Judge Jackson, how she handled yeah. this scenario. And this is what we have to do in these rural areas. These rural areas are in dire need for diversity, whether it's just being a part of the local bar. Mm -hmm. Being a part of a local bar, that's yeah. diversity within itself. Being in the courtroom, it really adds a dynamic. I can walk into a courtroom, even though I'm not trying the case, and because I go in, I shake everybody's hand, he does. <laughs> Walks them out, shaking hands. That is, that's great. That that's is great. Hilarious. And so what I do, I change the whole mindset, even the jurors. I may go into a courtroom and the prisoners are sitting down in, in shackles. I may have a client there. I go talk to him or talk to her and I shake everybody's hand before COVID. Mm -hmm. So I, I change the whole dynamic. I sensitize the judges. And I, I, I really humanize the uh, the prisoners or those who are in jail. And so, what, and, and, and that's why we need diversity in circuit yeah. just being there in those rural areas. Yeah, yeah. And and beyond diversity, you have good manners. You know, you have, you, you know, you're respectful mm -hmm. to other people, and that is something that is kind of missing in our society today. And you know, that's why I'm, I'm really so impressed with both of you. And it made me think about the fact that you're both Christians. You're both, uh, you know, you're active in your faith. Um, how has that also impacted uh, your your profession as being a lawyer? Or does it at all play a part in it? Well, it's, it's, as far as my practice, I couldn't practice except for my faith. I couldn't do it. I really couldn't deal with the the, uh, the things that I've had to face sitting, picking a jury. And when uh, this lady, and I just shared this with you, I didn't share it in the book. I was striking the jury in a, a county uh, west of here. And uh, she made the comment, I don't believe in um, uh, interracial marriage. And she just went through a litany of things. But I didn't change my expression. I smiled and I kept answering the question. And so, but it's my faith that carries me, causing me not to respond in a negative way. And that's what that, and I tell young lawyers in these rural areas, they must work on that relationship with God because it's it's tough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and really all professions, it really, you really have to work on that and be composed. We've We've seen that over the weekend at the Oscars, how losing your composure can cause major issues, right? And so, uh, you know, above all else, you gotta maintain your, your composure. And for all our viewers out there, if you have any questions for uh, attorney John Clark or Nefertar Clark, please send those in. There was a comment saying it's so good to see a father and daughter uh, lawyer team from my wife. She sent in a message. So 
We thank her for that. And we, you know, we're, we are so impressed with you. So impressed with the book. We didn't even get to that yet, but I really want to dive into the book, Daddy, Tell Me a Story. And how did you come up with the idea for the book? And if you wouldn't mind talking about that a little bit. Sure. Uh, so during the pandemic, um, I courts didn't know what to do. Like they didn't know what to do. So like court was shut down for a month, like no virtual court. They didn't know what to do. Yeah. And so I had the opportunity to spend more time with my parents than I had in, I left home at 17. And so like, and I didn't ever live back permanently with them from college to law school, then living on my own. And so to have all of that additional time with them, we had conversations, we had game nights, we had a lot of different like, fun things and things to talk about. And one night we were, um, my father's always said that he wanted his life story written, but he never had an opportunity to get it done and it just never got done. And so one night we were talking about, well, what would, you know, a book about your life be entitled? So we were tossing things back and forth. And then my mom was like, well, Tara, do you remember what you said? My family calls me Tara. So do you remember what you said to your father um, when we all ride along in the car? And I thought for a second, I'd say, daddy, tell me a story. Um, so as a child, I loved to read. I was an avid reader, um, but I also loved for my father to tell me stories about his childhood and his upbringing. So much so that when it got dark or when I tired of reading, I'd say, daddy, you know, tell me a story. Tell me a story. So it was my constant refrain, tell me a story. And so from that point, um, he... Um, so he would tell me stories, but there were times when he didn't want to tell me stories. He said, you tell me a story. I think that was setting me up for this. So I took stories that my father shared with me over the course of, you know, when I was, you know, four or five until I was 13 or so. And I put them, consolidated them for the book and added practical life application so that, you know, it would be something for the readers to read about not only his stories, but how they apply to everyday life. That is great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll, I'll, I'll hold up a copy of it. <laughs> yes, there you go. There you go. His Volkswagen is actually um, a Volkswagen that he owns and he actually still works, still drives and he still, you know, drives it. And so um, this is kind of like us in the car and all of those sorts of things. So that's how we got the, the book, the book title and the cover for the book. Okay, great, great. And the book is broken up into three parts. Um, can you tell us about that? Yes. Those three parts? So the book is broken up into three parts, and the, the parts are sowing, um, growing, and reaping. So we said, you know, you reap what you sow. So in the, the first part, we're talking about, you know, his early life, um, you know, growing up on the farm and, you know, um, his family and, you know, deaths of his sister as well as um, his father, who were like, you know, two of the first, you know, deaths he experienced in life. And then we have the um, growing part, which is talking about him coming into his own, developing, becoming a man. Okay. And then finally, we have the reaping portion where we talk about some cases that he's tried and, you know, federal law that has been uh, impacted and changed because of the, the legal work that he has done. Um, you know, a death threat on his life, which is something that's very impactful for me. So there's actually a chapter in um, the sewing growing part where I talk about my um, reaction and my experience and feelings as it relates to the death threat. 
And in that final portion, like we said, it's called um, reaping. And so it talks about choosing a successor because he's also, um, what, 22-year president of NAACP, yeah, right. the local branch. Um, so he's been president of the local branch for yeah. a very, very, very long time. And then, um, you know, stepped down and, and is mentoring another young man who has stepped in, you know, to take on that role. Okay. And it also shares at in the very last chapter, you know, hopes for the future and also encouraging others to write and tell their own stories um, because um, oral tradition or oral, oral storytelling traditions started before we had pens and papers and, you know, right. ink and, you know, that sort of thing. And now we can actually like compose a book on our smartphone or on our iPad. And it's, you know, just great to be able to encourage others. And also another thing is that 100% of the proceeds of um, Daddy Tell Me a Story benefits our Families Foundation because we've been giving scholarships to students attending Savannah State University and Southern University Law Center for the past like six or seven years. Oh, yeah. And we started our foundation about three or four years ago. And so now we give those proceeds through the foundation because I was fortunate to, you know, go through not only undergrad, but college without any student loans. And it That's makes great. a difference when you are a full, you know, an adult working and not yes. have to pay student loans and all you have to pay are your bit like your regular, like you know, house, your mortgage, your, you know, if you have a car note, like things like that, but no student loans. Because my friends, I have friends who are, you know, not only lawyers but doctors who have their it's a it's a mortgage payment for their yeah. student loans, it's like you know, one, two thousand right. dollars for student yeah. loans. Yeah, yeah. That's a burden on your back that is very hard to get from under. Absolutely, absolutely. It, it definitely is. The proceeds of the book to help others. Okay, proceeds of the book. Uh, so please, everybody go out and purchase a copy of the book. We're going to post it on, we're going to have it in my newsletter as well as on our uh, social media platforms as well uh, for encouraging people to buy it. Um, do you mind if I call you, Tara? You, you, go we're right. Fam we're family now. We're family now. So, Mr. Tara is a handful, and even uh, so tell how people know me because, like, when I went to middle school, my dad's like, "Oh, people need to call you Nefertara. That's your full name." So, people I went yeah. to high school would call me Nefertara, but in law school, they call me Tara because they became like family. Right. Then my adult friends call me Nef. So I have like three different uh, names. People call me. They're like, even even Tara's too long. Okay, so, Nef. Nef. Okay, Nef. Okay. Nef. <laughs> Either one is fine. <laughs> okay. We're going to take a, another quick break and okay. we will come back and we're going to talk about legacy when we return. Sounds like a plan. My name is Michael Morgan, president and founder of A Few Good Mentors Incorporated, a 501c3 nonprofit organization that mentors to young men ages 8 to 21. If you're looking for a mentor or if you want to be a mentor, you can contact us a variety of ways through Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. You can also call us at 571-989-2599. The statistics are staggering. Right now, 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes and 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. At AFGM, we believe every young male can benefit from a mentor to help navigate through life. Former President Barack Obama once said, change will not come if we wait for some other person or some other time. 
We are the ones we've been waiting for. We are the change that we seek. Be that change. Contact a few good mentors today. We currently have two chapters, uh, one in Northern Virginia and the other in Hampton Roads, Virginia. And we are hoping to open up new chapters in a city near you soon. And again, thank you for your time. If you would like to donate, you can text donate or give at 571-487-7689. Okay, welcome back. This is Michael Morgan. We're talking to Mr. John Clark and my friend Tara Clark uh, of Clark and Clark uh, Law Group in in Georgia. And before break, we were talking. I mentioned something about legacy, and the question I have is, what does it mean to preserve your legacy? And I know, Mr. Clark, you're really big on mentoring as well. To me, mentoring is preserving your legacy, but what, what are your thoughts on legacy? You know, I've always been the type of person who believed in passing on what I have. Mm. You know, the intellect, whatever knowledge that I have, I want to pass it on because that is the only way we can bring about lasting change. And uh, certainly um, I, I've done that as long as I've known because I've always reached out to people trying to pass on to them the knowledge that I have or finances, if I can help them do things that will improve our communities, uplift our community. That's what it means to me, because if we don't build a legacy, then our communities would die. And and that's what what I see happening in our communities. We, We have to build a legacy and we have to help finance it. I can't beg others to give when I don't give, you know, that's one thing I believe in. I, I believe in taking what I have, uh, using it to help others before I go beg others to do it. Then I take what God blesses me with, what he blesses me with to share with others and, you know, be to be able to set up a foundation. That was something I wanted to do. And God blessed me to live, to be able to do it. Yeah. With my daughter being able to set it up, she... You know, she has the skills and ability to do it. It has truly been a blessing knowing that what God has blessed me with, I will be able to share that even after I'm gone from the scene. Yeah. Just piggyback on what my dad said. Um, One thing that he said, actually during, um, we have a radio show called Words of Wisdom, God, Law, and Politics each Sunday night. We interview different community members, um, you know, about various aspects of, you know, God, law, and politics, like those three things. But we have the incoming NAACP president who my father is mentoring on. And one thing that my dad said, but God gave it to me to give away. And that really resonated with me. Mm. That is like what he is all about, like everything that God has given him, be it like, you know, knowledge, um, you know, finances, whatever he has, he really does try to, you know, give it away to help others. But to also talk about legacy, 
um, legacy is not just what we leave behind for others to know that we were here, but it's what we leave behind for others to build upon. Um, so that's, you know, what legacy means to me, not just for me to like say that I've done something to show that I've passed this way, but that I've done something and left it behind to, you know, for others to like step on and do better than I have. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is, that's great. Um, God gave it to me to give away. I'm going to use that for sure. <laughs> uh, I'm going to use it for sure. I'm asking you now if I can use it, but, uh, <laughs> but yep. I think... I think that's a great quote. I think it's something that we should all we should all live by. If, if we really should. Um, so, what do you think are the biggest lessons shared in the book? We don't, don't want to give away too much, but the book is "Daddy, Tell Me a Story." If you could tell us what are at least one or two lessons that that you could share from the book. Sure. So, the overarching themes of the of of the book of the book are. Excuse me. Um, courage and perseverance. I think those kind of go hand in hand um, just because there are so many things that my father did did to stand in the face. Of, he, he faced, you know, fear head on. He faced death head on um, and he persevered despite any obstacle that was placed in his path to reach, you know, to reach his goals. So courage and perseverance um, are are two slash one lesson that are that's in the book. Another is um, love of family and humanity. So those are completely distinct things. But I think that when we love and love with like all of our hearts, like humanity, we see that as part of our family, essentially. And so um, just, you know, caring for the family that God gives you, but also those who become like family and then those who you're trying to just help along the way. Um, so those are two like overarching themes um, that are in the book that I think that, and also another one I want to say is like avoiding peer pressure. Yeah. Um, we're talking about mentoring and oftentimes we mentor people who are younger than us and like, you know, learning from us um, because my father, his, his brothers, you know, like to do certain things and he didn't always like to do those things. And so he didn't always hang out with them. Um, and so he was a loner in a lot mm -hmm. of respects. Like, you know, even today he'll tell you that he's a loner to a degree. Yeah. And so, um, you know, peer pressure and not giving in to those who want you to do things that you know aren't right. Or if you just have a feeling that I shouldn't be here, I shouldn't go there. He didn't do those things. And even I'll just share one story um, where he was out um, playing basketball in law school with like his friends. They go play basketball each Saturday morning when the weather was nice. And, you know, they were playing with some other people who were, you know, work, a worker who was at, who worked at the school. And they were playing and the guy got became upset with my father and punched him. Now, my father's friends wanted to fight like they yeah. were ready to fight. And he had he was the one who had been like assaulted, but he had to like hold them back so that they wouldn't try to fight on his behalf because he knew had they begun fighting like that person might have had a gun or a knife. You know, someone could have been killed and they could have ended up in jail. And so just, you know, that's what a situation where cooler heads have to prevail. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can't always, you know, kind of like Will Smith. You can't right. always do what you feel like doing or what you want to do. Like, you have to like rein it in sometimes. Yeah, yeah, um, and so right. that um, is a story that, you know, so we, I often say that this book is for, you know, middle school children all the way up to like people who are 90 plus because it talks about peer pressure and, you know, standing tall. And even if you have to stand alone, right. you know, it talks about, you know, for younger people, like finding your way in your career path. 
And then even for, you know, for any of us who are Christians, but for older people, especially because my father has, you know, lived through several cancers. And so, um, you know, always knowing that, you know, God's love and his um, ability to do the impossible, well, at least when we think it's impossible, he's able to make the seemingly impossible possible. And so those are kind of like things that like are threaded throughout the book. Yeah, that is, it is an amazing story. Uh, I could talk to you two for hours. I know we have to wrap it up. Uh, in conclusion, well, first of all, again, we're talking to John Clark and Nefatara Clark of Clark and Clark uh, Law Group, Law Law Group. And um, in closing, do you all have a quote that you live by? If each of us could could just share a quote that you live by, and I'll tell you mine to begin with. Um, and I just, I'm a huge basketball fan. So I was watching the NCAA tournament over the weekend and Clark Kellogg, the announcer made a quote that I wrote down and it said, uh, we need rain and sunshine to grow. And I thought that is great because sometimes we just want to um, think about the good times and not those bad times is where you need growth as well. That rainy time, that period of when things aren't going well for you. So do you two have a quote um, or something that you live by? Okay. I'm going to try to, can I get, can I share three? Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> so the first one that I'll be the change that you want to see in the world, which is a Mahatma. Yes. Um, one of my favorites. Another <laughs> one. Um, that I really like. In fact, the signature of um, one of my emails, which is Galatians 5.13, um, which talks about um, God gave us freedom, but not, he didn't give us that freedom to like indulge ourselves but so that we could be uh, help others, essentially, so that we could you know, love others, help others, and serve others. And so I'm paraphrasing it, but it's Galatians 5.13. Okay. Um, and then the other one is um, for you were... For you were created. Um, it's another Bible verse, and it's slipping my mind, but it's about being created. Um, God created the works that He plans for us to do in advance, just for us. And mm -hmm. so, that's like three that kind of like guide my life and guide, um, you know, guide how I, you know, make decisions about my future, as well as you know how I interact with others. Okay. Wow, that's good. I like that. One thing that uh, I guess it sticks with me. And once I read it in the scripture, I'm, I am an avid reader of God's word. I study it. I study it. And that's what I pattern my life after the word. But one scripture in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not on thy own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct thy path. And as I looked at that scripture, that's what God has done for me, even before I knew that. It was my trust in him that guided me and directed my path yeah. of hurt, harm, and danger. And, and when I read that scripture, it just, it was, it was, that was me. So that's, that's my, that's my scripture. You know, I, yeah. that's what I live by and I have lived yeah. by. Yeah. That is amazing. Go ahead. The scripture for the other one, I had to look it up. It's Ephesians um, 3, I'm sorry, Ephesians 2.10. Uh, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So that's the, how that actually like, officially reads. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
Okay. I appreciate it. And can you all send that to me so we can share that uh, with a few good mentors and, um, you know, our other viewers, that would be, that'd be fantastic. Absolutely. I'll, I'll be sure to email them. We are so blessed. I, I really, I could talk to you all for the next eight hours and please, and, and here's an invite now to come back again so that we can talk some more, maybe about God and politics. That I like that title. <laughs> A lot of people don't want to talk about those two things together, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> but um, but I really have appreciated the time today. And again, please, everyone go out and get a copy of Daddy, Tell Me a Story. Uh, if you need legal advice, if you're in the Georgia, are you just licensed in Georgia? Just in Georgia, just but just in, Georgia. in D.C. in a few weeks. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. So we are so grateful and thankful to have you. Uh, we're thankful for our viewers. Again, uh, please, everyone, uh, check out um, uh, Nefetar Clark and John Clark and their book. They have a radio show, authors, speakers, attorneys. They're doing it all. And so... We are so grateful to have them on tonight. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you for having us. And the thank book is avail much. available at nefertarclark.com. So okay. .com. So thank you all. So thank you uh, so much for having us. We truly appreciate it. Looking forward to like future events of a few good mentors that we can take Yes. Part. Yes. Because we may be coming down there soon. So uh, we're looking forward to that. Let us know. <laughs> okay. Thank you, everyone. And we will see you next time on the mailbox. Text your people, they shit. All the problems and your knees are futures. Lawyer, doctor, anything if you just you got some questions about some things you just You a king, be the king, you just got proper comfort for the queens if they live in favor, see the dream. Get your phone, text your people, they shit.